Welcome to our Think Kingdom podcast. We want to welcome you this week as we continue in the book of Acts with the Jesus Movement. Let's jump in and see what God's Word has for us from our lead pastor, Antoine Lassiter. We are returning to uh, our um, series, the book of Acts. Um, We've been in the book of Acts for several weeks now, and we're going to be entering into Acts chapter 6. And I affectionately um, call this part of uh, the uh, series Growing Pains. Um, so uh, how many parents in the building? If you got parents, just clap your hands or rave or wave at me. Yeah. So, you know, when um, when you're incubating and the baby is in your womb and, you know, you do the baby shower thing and uh, everybody's like celebrating and uh, you really don't know how many diapers you need. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, you start showing and then um, you can feel the you can feel the kick and you can hear the heartbeat and all of this like crazy phenomenal stuff that's happening inside. But you really don't know it outside of the growing of the belly. And then what happens, you go to that day and no one's in the history of mankind has ever adequately prepared for that day. Um, I remember when we had our first child, Justin, um, you know, we had the emergency bag and we had um, all these signals worked out. And uh, I was in a meeting at the government center in downtown Charlotte, and it was so many people there. And um, I my phone um, was in my pocket and I couldn't get a signal. So my wife was trying to call my cell phone, but uh, she couldn't get through. So she called um, the main office and the main office got in contact with my supervisor and his name was Rick Little and Rick Little was very hard of hearing. So he so I'm like in the middle and he's on the outside and he says, what? A baby. Someone's having a baby and I'm listening and I'm like, man, Rick is so loud. Like, Just calm down. He's like, so somebody's having a baby right now. And I'm, I'm sitting here like, bro, like, and I'm trying to listen. And, and he's like, Antoine, Antoine's having a baby. And I'm like, yo, yo, that's, that's me. And it took me, like, and, and Tanya's waters broke. And, and, and uh, I jump in the car, man, and I'm flying. I'm going fast, like, because I thought she was having a baby right then. And surely I'm not going to miss it. Um, and it was crazy, man, because we get to the hospital like during the day, right? And my son hasn't come. We get at like one or two o'clock, maybe. Okay, eleven. I know the details. <laughs> I was present. Um, yeah, eleven. And um, Justin doesn't make his arrival until 1:28 a.m. This is nuts. Like. This process of me watching all this occur and the anticipation of it and still wasn't prepared. And what's so funny about it is like I never forget. I tell the story a lot. I never forget. Like she couldn't eat. But I was starving and they never put any restrictions on me. So I was like, hey, it was like five or six. And I was like, hey, I'm a. Um, go and make some phone calls downstairs that happen to be near the cafeteria 
And I'll be right back. And um, I never forget it. I will never forget this. This is lives in infamy. So I give me this this double sliced pizza, man. And I'm killing it. Like, because, you know, I got my wife is having a baby, man. Don't be selfish. So I'm eating it. And um, only thing that she could eat was like ice chips. And so I'm, I'm, I'm eating the pizza and, you know, I drink the Mountain Dew, whatever it was. And I get back in and she's now moving into active labor. And I'm there, man. I'm, I'm in her face like, baby, you can do it. And she says words that I knew that she loved me. She said, your breath stinks. Get out of my face. And I knew then that woman loved me. And I was an active participant to a degree because the doctor was telling me, whatever you do, don't look on that end. But that's my wife. And I'm present. So I looked on the other end. And to this day, I wake up in tremors. I tremble. But this beautiful baby was born into the world. And in all our planning, we still were not prepared. And we weren't prepared for the growing pains to come. That the baby would only communicate in one way. And I, I figured that at some point, there has to be a better way, like a, a helmet or something that can communicate the needs. And um, the, the glorious uh, uh, re reunion of parents coming in and being apart. And then how we get to our home and we, it's baby proof and all of this stuff. And everybody is participating. And then I realized that the same people, I hope they're not watching, but the same people who like participate have so much to offer. And sometimes they offer their uh, advice in the most inopportune time. And so Tanya was committed to nursing and Justin struggled with nursing. You know, what am I supposed to do? And, and then you have both sets of parents. You don't have to nurse. Give that baby a bottle. And then you suddenly realize that I just wish they would leave. That at that time, I'm saying this to a camera, at that time, we, we loved you, we still love you. So, and then what you realized was that, that what was a glorious day was just the beginning. And that the shower and the baby coming home and then you drive by the, the fire department to make sure that the, the car seat is secured and, and they look at you as like, it's secured and first feet as a dad. I'm winning. But then you, you realize that that baby is communicating in ways that only God understands. And then the mother understands it. And then the father becomes like this third wheel. What do you want me to do? And then you start seeing like, man, this baby is growing up. And Justin hates when I tell this story. But I remember the first time I did the, I think it was Mufasa. Mufasa. Justin, the only thing greater than yourself. And I held him to the moon. It's beautiful. And then a day later, I'm holding him in the bathroom and he poops in my hands. This is parenthood, right? And, and then you see, after a while, all the preparation, 
is not necessarily enough because you're rediscovering the growth and the development. And then you respond, you react at times. And then, uh, you know, you're just trying to be a great dad and you're focusing on him and you turn to get diapers and he falls off the bed and then you put him back and he falls off immediately afterwards. And then you think you broke him and you never tell your wife until much 17, 18 years later, but that's not the point. And you start realizing that even in all this preparation, uh, in the good times and the bad times, there's pains along the way. And this is the birth of the church, that the church is birthing this new movement, this Jesus movement, and yet they're stumbling. Like they, they, they're, they're, they're not as prepared as you would hope they would be. And then along the way, people get dropped. And then this institution of church becomes this enigma. Like we, we, we claim to be, yet we haven't arrived. And then we got all these babies that we're dropping, some for, for just because we looked away for a second. And now it was never our intentions to drop the babies. It was never our intentions to, uh, to, to raise up babies that lack mothers and fathers who are present. And these growing pains continue throughout church history. And we have the benefit of history, but it's different when you're the baby that's being dropped. That we, we were not graceful. Because depending on what side of the parenting you're on, it's the part that you either extend grace or need grace yourself. But how many of us know that it's harder to uh, uh, extend grace when you're the victim of being dropped? And this is the church. And we're trying to grow more parents and more adoptive parents and foster parents, but we are still human. And many folks are sleeping in their beds now, not even turning on uh, Facebook or the social media outlets that we share the gospel because they're the ones that have been crying and the needs are not met. And they feel neglected. And we come into this space and they're crying while we're building buildings. They're crying while we're doing all these other things. They're crying inside. And they want to be fed. And then babies will eat anything when they're desperate. This is the church. And, and it's funny that you're here today because, you know, somebody asked me to describe this church. I was like, we're gumbo, man. It's a little bit of everything. We got folks that speak in tongues like nobody's business. And then we got some that ended at the day of like we got everyone under this umbrella. And it's, it's interesting because is the umbrella big enough for all of us? We got theologians, man, that like they occasionally, not so much, I think I'm getting better, that they would text me, that's not necessarily what that passage meant. I'm like, oh, that just hurt. Give me grace. And then there are some who, man, we just need to worship. Let's just worship the Lord. We're like all over the place. And somebody who actually does that is like, I don't sound like that. 
<laughs> I don't sound. And, and this is the church. The, the church is, I want to be a part, but under my own terms. But that's not how the church functions. And, and, and then the, the, the problem is we have so many, you, you have so many different pastors and they focus on one particular thing. And, and we're not at war with each other. That's just preference. We're called to preach the entire gospel. But let's just be honest. Some of this is what I personally experienced. And so when you hear my messages, you may hear the bleeding of community. Because for so long, I was screaming for community. Everyone was having a Sunday morning service, but not everyone had community. Community is the place where I could say my wife and I are not on the same page. I need help. I need, the, I need for someone to walk. But I've been dropped so many times, I keep the cries quiet. And so I put on the clothes and I looked apart and I'm smiling and I'm dying inside. The signs that the baby needs something is in the voicing of that something. They cry. There's something wrong with a baby who doesn't cry. Crying is the evidence of a need. Crying is the evidence of a need. So when we are gathered as a church family and I start crying, don't ignore me. I'm expressing a need. And so when we have folks joining this church, I take a responsibility to a degree of a father. And if you notice how I operate, it's always, hey, you need to talk with such and such, connect with such and such, because there's nothing like siblings. And this is the family of God, and it's actually being dished out for our benefit. What happens to a baby that cries and nobody responds? What happens to us when we feel like our needs are not being met? Now, flip side of that, I'm not talking about consumerism. That it's all about you. But think about the baby. The baby is crying. Use your words. Use your words. And the baby's three months old. He is. His words is his cries. But here's what I realized. The baby grows up. And the baby is 14 years old. Yeah, that's not right. We have language that you can use, but this is what I'm seeing. Not anyone in here, other people I talk to outside of here. I'm seeing that emotionally we're just babies in grown up bodies because we're not communicating what we need. And so we withdraw, we go in, and now I'm crying inside and I feel messed up. I feel abandoned and I'm not even communicating what the need is. And we expect you to use your words. And so I'm seeing this church and I used to, uh, uh, pastor, I used to romanticize the first century church. Man, I want to be just like that. Them folks were moving in the spirit, in step with the spirit, like nobody's business. And then you start reading, man, they were fighting within themselves. Hold up. Hold, hold, hold. And then you start turning the page and then you, you start reading about Paul. And Paul says to Peter and Paul says, you know, I confronted Peter to his face. Hey, what? 
So, as the words of my late grandfather, the Reverend Dr. James Henry Hampton, people have been people since people been people. In other words, ain't nothing new on the sun, Reverend. There's always been tension in the church, even when in the first century, and they're like a couple years removed from Jesus. Now, think about this. Like they were, that's Jesus. They were like, they had fish fries with Jesus. They spent like, they, they went to an Airbnb with Jesus. Like they spent some time with Jesus. And they still have problems. Now, how in the world do you spend all that time with Jesus and still have problems? I'm glad you asked. Because we're imperfect. And here's what I was sharing with someone. You don't see everything. You and I see in part. So I know you fire baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, and Jesus said, and you're going to do it. But read your Bible. God tells Abraham, leave. Abraham's like, let's go. Well, Abraham did not know what was about to happen when he did. Moses, think about Moses, one of the greatest leaders known. And then in Exodus, the scripture says that a Moses' grand, um, um, father-in-law says, look, Moses, you're doing too much. Now, Moses, called by God, sent sent back to his people, leading his people out of Egypt. And his father-in-law was like, look, you, you, you working from the sun up, sun down. You're going to kill yourself and everybody around you. But I thought God told Moses to go let my people go. He did. But don't you fool yourself. You need godly counsel around you to clarify what God called you to do. But I'm a crying baby. What's happening inside of me is I, I'm not really secure in what he said. So when I share it and people start questioning it, I become insecure and I'm trying to protect what God said. And so we have to walk with people because we have to walk in step with the spirit. But that doesn't mean we walk in step with the spirit alone. This is community. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, in those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint. Here it comes. We seeing the Lord move tremendously. And then every pastor, don't say amen. Every pastor is doing the best they could, trying to honor, follow, flip. Let's flip that. Every person that's following Christ is doing the best they could. As, as things began to come together, there rose a complaint. The complaint was by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Now, daily distribution, they were taking care of the needs of the people. Did you see this backdrop? And then nothing in the scripture is by accident. Now, you have the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews, but Obviously, they're both Jews. So they're a conflict that can actually arise and both of y'all the same. But those two, those two adjectives, Hellenistic and Hebraic, speak to different culture. Man, listen, I can do a master class in culture. What school do you go to? The school of Think Kingdom Church. 
when two cultures clashed. And here's what's so crazy about it. These were not just people. You got to hear the scripture. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, that doesn't mean the apostles of God. It actually means as the gospel was going forth, people says, yes, I want to follow God. And now these Hellenistic Jews and Hebraic Jews are actually Christian. There rose a complaint among God's people. Yeah, I know you're quiet because this is foreign to us. This doesn't happen. And here's the issue, that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So the Hellenistic Jews were complaining that the the widows into their care was being neglected and something, uh, the Hebraic Jews, they had something to do with it. So the 12, meaning the apostles, summoned the whole company of the disciples. Y'all come up here. Uh, yeah, we're going to finish praying and doing what the Lord's work, but y'all just come. So here's what the disciples said. Because they were bringing the, the issue to the disciples, wanting the disciples to fix it. They were bringing the issues to the disciples. And they wanted the disciples to fix it. They were bringing the issues to the pastor and they wanted the pastor to fix it. But if the pastor fixes it, listen, he says, it would not be right for us to give up the preaching of the word of God to wait on tables. Here's the problem with that statement. The problem with that statement is the disciples didn't say it wasn't important. But what God has placed in them actually exceed what the needs are. Uh, Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven of men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this day. Verse number four. But what y'all going to do? But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. So you have the disciples saying, listen, we know what we're called to do. And, and, and we have to devote ourselves to prayer and the word of God. Now, here for disclosure, I am so uncomfortable preaching this. I happen to be a pastor. So <laughs> they would devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So you got an issue that's percolating over here and you bring it to leadership And the leadership is saying, "Okay, listen, the problem may have originated in the people, but it's not going to stop from the leaders. It has to be solved amongst the people. This proposal pleased the whole company. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I just got a sea lie. Thank you, Lord. All right. uh, So they chose Stephen. Circle that name. We're going to get back to Stephen later on. A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Now, I am not going to pronounce these names. Not because I can't. It's because I don't want to show off. All right, so, um, and they basically chose seven men. Uh, Prochorus, uh, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, and I, I, I skipped Philip. But they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number 
and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. And so here's the basically the overarching point, growing pains. Uh, we are called out to be called into the lives of people. So we are called out as believers, as Christians, to be called into. There is no separation. Your hood, your, your, your neighborhood, where God has placed you, you are called there to be called into uh, your neighborhood. There is no compartmentalization. There is no, well, I, I don't like my neighbors. Then pray for them and, and learn to love them. Because here's what the people were doing. The people came to the apostles to solve the problem. And the apostles says, look, we are called specifically for this task. And we are going to obey God and not obey man. So obeying man will cause us to disobey God. It's not that they don't see the needs of the people, but they recognize it's in the house. I want you to say it with me. It's in the house. It's in the house. So we're called out to be called into the lives of people with and for the gospel. So this is the disruption. Put your hand on your head. I'm coming against how we think. The name of Jesus. Put on your heart. Coming against what we believe. Stretch forth your hands. I'm coming against what we do. What the disciples realized was that the needs of the people, the widows, could be answered if the people were obedient to meet those needs. Watch this. So when Peter, when Jesus calls Peter the rock and, and, and I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it in Matthew 16 and 19. I wonder if Peter was reminded that the persecution that was coming from within the wall, beyond the walls of the church versus the, per, versus the problems within the church still allow the opportunity for the gospel to spread. In other words, they are seeing the gates of hell come against the church because this is under the backdrop of persecution rising. Remember Acts chapter five when they were beaten because they named Jesus? So you got to see the challenge here. The challenge of Peter and the disciples was really simple. That we're being persecuted outside the church, but we also got to deal with problems within the church. More people more problems. The more we grow, the more the pains. And the challenge with the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews is they're still under the same umbrella. The, the, the most conflict that I witnessed as a pastor had nothing to do whether the other person loves Jesus versus the other person. No, it's almost like I love Jesus more. And what happens is these growing pains continue. Here's the reality, and I'll be the first to say, I personally don't like drama. I don't like drama. But whatever people, whatever there are people, there's drama. So in, in our lives, we dictate, okay, I this is, remember, I'm coming against your head. Uh, I have to go to work. I have to deal with those people. I don't have to go to church. Huh? So 
in our heads, we're saying, hey, I have no other choice because this is my job and my job is to work for people, work with the people, and I get it. But why does it seem it's optional with the family of God? Like, that, that, that's so bizarre. Now, now, listen, full disclosure, I used to think the same way. Because think about it. There's drama in my neighborhood. I may not be able to, be, I may not have the ability to move. There's drama on my job. <laughs> I got bills. There's drama in the church. See, that's why I don't go to church anywhere. And this is the growing pains because friendly fire is the most hurtful. See, I get not being able to get along with that guy at work. I don't get not getting along with somebody who claims Jesus. And that is what I take personal. Ain't no love in the church. How do you demonstrate it? Because last time I checked, love was long-suffering. And, and so, so, so that is the dilemma. Because in those days, the disciples were increasing in number. But these two camps started clashing. Now, this is the us versus them. Man, one word that I understand the context of it, but I cannot stand is tribe. Like, if you think about it, how many Cowboy fans in here? Yeah, see, yeah, I don't like y'all. All right, so you see? Now, if I tell you my team, here's what you're going to say. My team is the Carolina Panthers. All right. <laughs> you see what happens? So you can, the Cowboy fans can say, look how many championships we have. And then the Carolina Panthers can say, well, we went to in 2015. <laughs> because sometimes we don't necessarily glorify our own team. We glorify our own team by putting down another team. And then sometimes, because your team have not um, achieved what the other team has, we poke, we, we say, well, when the last time y'all went to the Super Bowl? And, and then they say, well, how many rings you got? Because it's always this us versus them mentality. And so when the scripture says the Hellenistic Jews, we got to circle that and, and, and discover what is a Hellenistic Jews because they made a distinction for a reason. And so why are the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews clashing among something that's simple? Their widows take care of them. So when we unpack scripture, we begin to see, ah, they the same race but a different culture. Oh, okay. When the Hellenistic Jews have a, have a history with the Greeks and they are no longer in the patriarch's land. They, they have been dispersed. During the Roman um, occupation, they left and now they grew up learning to speak Greek. And then the Hebraic Jews, um, they stayed where their forefathers were, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they speak Hebrew. Same race, different culture. Human race, different experiences. And so what happens when they are Christians, they are converted. They are disciples. 
and still see differences, still are at odds. So wait a minute, pastor. You mean to tell me that they've been baptized, they have the Holy Spirit, and they're still warring against each other. That's exactly what I'm saying. And that is in this church and many churches because we are so crone, we're so clinging to our tradition that we can't even obey God in the process. So we need the intervention of the disciples to say, keep the main thing, the main thing. And people get offended and, and, and people begin to withdraw from one another. And the banner of Christ is supposed to attract us all. And this is the challenge because the problem is the church is growing. But the Hellenistic Jews versus the Hebraic Jews are experiencing growing pains. Because the Hellenistic Jews, they felt like outsiders. You ever come to a place that you felt like you didn't belong, but you poked your chest out anyway and you had a chip on your shoulder? And then the people that saw you and, and, and the, this culture and you don't even speak the same language. And now there's an issue and the apostles basically have to say, listen, y'all can solve this amongst yourselves. I don't need our intervention, but because it's actually disrupting the move of God, they say, OK, here's what we're going to do. And this is the structuring, because these Hellenistic Jews, um, they they were they were characterized, characterized by the youth, by the use of Greek as their principal language. And so the Hebraic Jews, they prided themselves as being natives. We never left and we speak just like our daddies. We ain't got this foreign language that you guys are using. So how are you talking about, Pastor? Well, God is ushering this church in to be the churched and the unchurched. And what's going to be hard is these two cultures clashing. We ain't doing it while we're painting walls because at the end of the day, it ain't about us. It's keeping the main thing, the main thing. And if walls and carpet and stuff distracts you, your eyes off Jesus. And this is what God is dealing with in the first century church. There are issues that they do not. I'm going to tell you what I love about Jesus and his foresight and knowledge. He was like, look, when the, when the, the writers of the Bible are pinning I can see the Holy Spirit put it all in. Don't hold nothing back. Show them the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because for so long, we, all, we always just talk about the good. And then we put bad in the context as if we overcome. But you know what ugly is? Man, it's like a troll doll. I don't know if it's cute. I don't know if it's ugly. It's somewhere in between. You ever seen a pug? The dog is so ugly, you start looking at it, it's like, man, I want one. That's a cute dog. And so the Holy, thank you, Holy Spirit. That was funny. The Holy Spirit literally invites us in to the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we invited new families in, and, 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 and this is what I keep going back to that day. Lord, help us to steward well. Help us to love them well, because what I recognize, they're not always we love well. That's the ugly. And the bad is we accuse people um, of, of not receiving love when we didn't give it. 
And so we have to be, so this is what the Hellenistic and the Hebraic Jews, and it's like I told Tanya last night, my commitment is that every person that comes to this church feels the love of God, whether they wave our banners or not, because that's the command of Christ. And so you got to see that they were distributing their foods. They took the knees. Remember Acts chapter 4. Remember the reason why um, we go through the books of the Bible consistently, um, and there's nothing wrong with topical preaching, but we have to see the pattern here that we can't just look at Acts chapter 6 in isolation, but remember Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, the, the rich folks, if you will, the people who had a lot, a little more, they began to sacrifice because they begin to identify needs. But here's what I love about scripture. So when they're distributing to the widows, there's, all, there's still qualifications for that. You can't just say, I'm a widow, where my money? First Timothy three, I think it's first, Tim- first Timothy something. You have to read, read all of first Timothy. It actually talks about um, the qualifications of widows. In other words, thank you, see, seminary student. So it's, it's <laughs> I was stuck, and Pastor Ramon was like, it's three. Thank you. <laughs> so, so it talks about the widows. We need all, we need all. Like, yeah, yeah. That's my man. That's my man. So, um, Christ City Fellowship, stand up. All right, so. Um, he, 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 he goes into this, like, what is a widow? Because, this, because think about it. People will uh, see you wave the banner of Jesus. You're supposed to help me. And even, even scripture says, okay, here's what the widows, what's, that's what it means. Do they have any family? There's qualifications of it. And so when the people finally, finally get it, they realize that the church it's inviting different people in. And different people, this is like revelation for me. You're probably like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, they invite p- different people in and different people come with different problems. And that's why for some of us, Tiffany, this church, the way it's current, this current size, we don't want it to grow. I just told you that we see church family as an option. When the business grows, the employees benefit. But that's not without challenges. All right. And so the same thing with the church, because more problems, more people, more problems. And so if we invite people that don't smell like us. If we invite people that don't talk like us, if we invite people that don't look like us, then they come with a whole different set of problems. If we, walk, if we invite skeptics that don't really, I don't know if I believe in this Jesus, but I like, the, I like what you're doing. Our first instinct is they're going to infect the entire church. Well, if they do, isn't that a problem on us? not them. It's crazy. And so what happens is um, when more people, more problems, more clicks. 
Oh, I'm preaching. I feel this. Sometimes you got to feel it for yourself. And I feel it. <laughs> I feel it. And then the more people, the more problems, misunderstandings and miscommunication increases. Uh, and then when the church grows, it's harder to get to know people. Because I lean towards introvert. And all these people just, I don't know. So sometimes what Antoine got to do is I'm hanging out with y'all and I got to go home like, Lord, woo, Lord Jesus, you know, I'm a struggling introvert, you know, but nonetheless, not my will, your will be done. So you got to give me the strength to be able to move into these places, uncomfortable, out of whack. I am no socially awkward person in here. No, you're not. Trust me, because inside is just like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> oh, man, I, knew, I shouldn't have said that. Cut that out. Kill the broadcast. Now, now people are going to come to me skittish. Um, sir, I'm about to walk into your personal space. It's like, yo, y'all good. Because what I recognize is we family. And if you can put it with my awkwardness. We family. If you can put it with me saying, so. We family. And that's, and that's the thing. As the church grows, different people come with different problems, personalities, and pains. And the church has to deal with it. It doesn't mean that the pastor has to deal with all of it by himself. Like, people have to tell you, you don't smile. You think you do, but you don't. And your greatest gift to mankind was when COVID, and you go, wear that mask. <laughs> I think I'm going to wear my mask year-round. <laughs> so the problem was discovered. The problem was discovered, but the solution came from the people. They brought it to the apostles. And the apostles, uh, I think it's verse number six. Put verse number six up, please. Um, and the apostles, they brought them people. <laughs> I brought them, brought them people. They brought the people to the apostles. And they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Here's the beauty of verse number seven. They're taking care of needs, man. They identify these needs. And this is the point. It's verse number seven. First five words, six words. So the word of God spread. Everything that we do, from creating the after party, from creating small groups, creating avenues, is so that the word of God can spread. So the word of God can spread. Disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. And even those folks that were sitting on the fence, because this is what this last part means, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. They, they, Jesus, man, Jesus is so cold. He settles the matter. Who's greater in the kingdom? Who's, who's lesser? Who's, who's going to sit on, we talked about it last week, who's going to do this? And, and, and Jesus does, does it this way. Man, let me tell you, the way y'all love each other, that's how they're going to know that you're my disciples. 
the way y'all treat each other, uh-huh. that the way you gossip, the way your gossip is spread is disguised as prayer. Could you pray for such and such because uh, he, the, the way, the way, the way you love each other. And as I look around, and Tiffany, we talked about this briefly today, is a look beyond the horizon. People from many walks of life going to be here. And if we don't start setting the foundation now, then we're going to be dropping babies. One thing I watch my wife with uh, my sons, and even now, my wife prepares the meal we like savages and she waits to eat when we've already been finished because her heart is serving what if the church I know y'all love her, her cake and the guests can't even have her cake in the back I'm sorry that just was random um, <laughs> but what if we waited to serve before we ate. Because the truth of the matter is, you got access to cake all the time. Because you're in relationship with her. It's, it's this servant's heart. See, there's, a, there's this, uh, this meme or graphic that's going around and shows like Jesus washing different people's feet. You've seen it? That's incomplete though. Because Jesus want to wash all of our feet, but he, this was his instructions. Do as I did. And not all those people that's represented want to wash your feet. Washing feet is not just receiving from God. It's us actually doing it to others. It's serving others. And this is the heartbeat of this church. I need for you to be able to give up your seat for someone else. Because what I am seeing is when somebody walks into this space, they understand what they're walking into. What do they? And what I mean by that is, are you going to take care of me? Can I trust you? Because we don't know what they're bringing into here. And so, I got baggage, you got baggage, we got baggage. But our heart has to be what the disciples said. Pick among yourselves and serve. So we serve from the parking lot to the poor pit to the children's ministry. And as I try to echo to the team earlier, I believe if we take care of our father's business, he'll take care of ours. That was Pastor Antoine continuing in the book of Acts with the Jesus Movement. If you are blessed by anything you heard in today's podcast and you feel led to give, feel free to text the word GIVE to 704-741-3705. And if you are in Charlotte or the surrounding areas, come on by and visit us at 465 South Cannon Boulevard in Kannapolis, North Carolina. 
Sundays at 10.33. You could also join us online Sundays on Facebook and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to us and check out our Instagram under Think Kingdom. As always, you can go back and hear this message and so many more right here on our Think Kingdom podcast.